0: is now before the Feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, read this next line with me now if you could. He loved them. let's do that one more time. He loved them to the end. Not just a love that was good for one point in time in history, but he loved them to the very end. It's good. came to Simon Peter who said to him Lord do you wash my feet which is Peter's way of saying what is going on right now you're gonna wash my feet what, what's happening right now Jesus answered him what I am doing you do not understand now but afterwards you will understand Peter said to him you shall never wash my feet watch what Jesus says Jesus said if I do not wash you you have no share with me and Peter said to him Lord not just my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I'm gonna invite you this morning as we walk through this teaching in the beginning of John 13, if you would just to bow your heads, close your eyes, let's prepare our hearts right now for God's word. First church services of a new year are always interesting. The first few days of a new year are always interesting. They're they're filled with hopes and dreams and goals and new prospects. But as we prepare our hearts for God's word today, I wanna encourage you in something, regardless of all the new things you're hoping for this year, regardless of all the, the, the things that you're trying to become and grow in, and can I just remind you of something? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He has never changed, whether it's 2022, 2021, 2020. He's always been consistent and faithful. And regardless of what this year brings, the ups, the downs, the goods, the bad, he will continue to be faithful. So I wonder as we start out this new year with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, would you be willing just to thank him silently for his faithfulness, for his consistent and continued grace and mercy? in your life right now. Open your hearts to God the Father and offer him up a word of thanks right now. Father, we come before you declaring that you are God, that there is none like you. There's no one like you. Father, you rule and reign sovereign and supreme. There's no God above you, besides you. We believe that you are eternal, infinite. That you open your mouth and stars and galaxies, universes come out. We believe in your son, Jesus Christ, equal to the father, sent into this world, the incarnate son of God. Who put on flesh and bone and blood and walked in our shoes, died on a cross, taking our sins to the cross, taking them to the grave, rising three days later because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit who was sent here to be a helper, to illuminate your word, to dwell inside of anyone who would call Jesus Christ their Lord. We are your church. We gather together to make much of the name of Jesus Christ, to lift him high, because as your word states, when we lift up Jesus, when we lift high Jesus Christ, he will draw all to himself. And Father, that is what we desire to see, that you would use us, use your church, to seek and save the lost, to make disciples, to be everyday missionaries empowered by your word, filled with your spirit. So God, today we come to you with open hands, asking to receive what you have, open hearts, open souls, begging to be filled by you, open minds, longing to learn. And even if it's challenging and even if it's hard and even if it takes a lot of work, we want to know truth, we wanna live by truth and under the authority of God. This is how we approach you today with great expectation, knowing that when you speak through your word, everything changes. So, humbly, we come to you today, Father. Move, please. Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. Convict, restore, redeem. In Jesus' name. And we all said, come on, it's the first Sunday of 22. We all said, Amen. Hey man, why don't you turn and shake somebody's hand. Welcome them to the new year. Come on, church. <clears throat> well, good morning and happy new year. It's good to see you all here. Sometimes, you know, as a pastor, first service of the year, you wonder if anybody's going to show up. Uh, I'm glad you all are here. We're beginning this year with a lot of expectation, uh, mostly just surrounding God's Word and the teaching of it. We have been in the book of John now for, I believe, over a year, and uh, that's exciting. Uh, We're just walking systematically, expositorily through that passage. However, I would say that there is a theme that has uh, come to the top, if you will, over chapter 13, 14, and 15. This month, we're going to be in chapter 13. Next month, Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 14. The following month will be in John chapter 15. But we're going to throw up the name of this series right now, if you will. It's called the deconstructionary. Let me hear you say deconstructionary. You're like, Travis, I feel like that is a made-up word. And if that's your thought, you are right. That is a made-up word. We definitely took some uh, suzical narrative on this on this word, and we we we, we just splushed together two words, and that those two words are revolutionary and deconstruction. Or deconstructionist. And we push those two words together. And there's a reason for that. Over the next kind of three months, as we walk through these passages, these chapters, if you will, we're going to talk about primarily God's word clearly, but we're also going to be talking about this, this theme that has kind of risen up in our culture, and that is a deconstruction of the American faith. Deconstruction, I don't know if you're aware of what deconstruction is, we're going to be getting into that a little bit more in just a moment, but this has become somewhat of an epidemic to a degree. But there's also this word revolutionary. And so as we put those words together, we're going to, we're going to make sense of that as we walk along. But here's what I need you to know, over these next three chapters, we are coming to a close in Jesus's public ministry. Gone are the days where he's standing on a mount and, and talking to people. Gone are the days where he's out in the public square healing and sharing uh, what it is like to, to know God the Father. Gone are the days when he is walking from place to place. We are now in the last day, days today, of his life before he dies on the cross. And what Jesus is doing now is he has not become secluded, not become a hermit, but he has intentionally gone into a space where he is pouring into his closest disciples and followers. In the last days, the last day of Jesus, we find some of the most dense teaching, if you will, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced grandma's fruitcake around Christmas. Uh, If that is you, and if you eat that and like that, there is something wrong with you. God bless you, but I'm just saying, uh, you know what it's like to eat something dense, amen? One of the densest substances in the world is a New Year's fruitcake or a Christmas fruitcake. And what we see in these next couple chapters are some dense teachings from Christ, And by that, I mean very compact, but very strong. And and Jesus is going to be making some comments and taking some steps of action that, that really have to do a lot with how we understand and interpret and do, if you will, Christianity and the practices behind our church okay? And so it's very important for us to understand that. And and to kind of get into that, there's a lot here. Um, And to kind of get into that, we really have to look at the first verse of John chapter 13, verse 1. John chapter 13, verse 1. I want you to examine this because John is doing something. Now, don't forget, we're a church that worships in spirit and in and in in what? Truth. Truth. Paramount theme of this year is that word, truth truth. And I would, I would submit that there is nothing more important than the finding out of truth. Would you agree with that? Uh, and if, if somebody's like, well, I don't know if there's nothing more important than discovering truth, I would say that paramount to our existence on this earth is the discovery of truth. I want to know the truth of the matter. I don't, t- I don't want to know the opinion. I don't know, want to know the subjective. I want to know the truth of the matter. And the fact of the matter is this. The overall theme, the overwhelming theme in the book of John is belief. And it is issuing forth the truth that we can have in the belief of Jesus. And we've talked about this before. The three main beliefs in Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is God. Amen. Number two, that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. And that lastly, Jesus is the great hope of this world. And these are the three themes under the overarching theme of belief that John is pushing forward in his narrative, which is the gospel of John. And he's going to kind of wrap it up in a little bit of a way here in the first verse. Look at this in John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, watch this now, he's looking back, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world of the Father, having loved. Let me hear you say the word loved. Loved. That means that it's something he did in the past. He loved, right? He loved his own. How had he loved his own? He's not just talking about the disciples. He's talking about people. He's talking about humanity. For the first uh, portion of his life, he is loving them by serving them. He's healing them. He's teaching them. Many he raised from the dead. He is demonstrating who God the Father is, his love, his essence, his attributes, right? Rightly seen through Jesus Christ and his actions, we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking about this very fact. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus is how we interact in real time with God the Father. Jesus is the flesh embodiment of God. It is the way that we get face time with God the Father. Are you with me so far? Yes? Yes? Yes, and so he loved his own. But notice what John tells us. He looks back and says he loved his own, and then he also says having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it's not just something that John is telling us that he did, but at this point in time, John is also telling us something that Jesus is going to do. He loved them to the end. He loved them before, he loved them In the future, he is willing to follow through. John is pointing, this is important, I would write this down. John is pointing to the consistent, unfailing faithfulness of Jesus Christ. John is demonstrating and pointing to the consistent and unfailing love of Jesus Christ. I know that many of us, when the ball dropped just the other night, Maybe a thought that went through our head was, well, I wonder what's going to happen this year. (laughs) I wonder what 2022 is going to be like. Anybody in here that said that or thought that or felt that? Anybody? Good. I was literally alone in that thought. Great. I love when I connect. That's wonderful. I know that was a thought that you had. I wonder what's going to happen this year, right? Because right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. Right now, we, we don't know what's going on day to day. Right now, we don't know if if we're going to be able to go here or go there or come here or if tomorrow that's going to be shut off or shut down or changed. How we can arrive, when we can arrive, where we can arrive, how we stand when we arrive. There's a bunch of different narratives on that. There's a bunch of different opinions on that. We're, We're split here and there on how we feel about it. I get it. There's a lot of questions. But here's what I want to tell you out the gate. Regardless of what takes place this year, regardless of what takes place in your homes and in our world and in our country, in our schools and our churches, understand this. The one thing you can cling to and know is that Jesus Christ has been faithful, Jesus Christ is faithful, and Jesus Christ will be faithful. Amen? We should get a solid old school Baptist early in the morning. Amen on that. Amen? Amen? We serve a faithful Jesus. We serve a faithful God. John is demonstrating that, and he's saying, believe. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe Jesus is the Messiah. Believe that Jesus is the great hope of the world sent into this world. So Jesus' ministry is closing, his last day before he dies. And here's what I want you to understand. As we read through this passage, we see Jesus kneeling down to wash people's feet. Now, this is a story that you're probably familiar with. This isn't like a, a new uh, thing that you probably haven't heard. Maybe you have, haven't heard of this passage before, but it's a quite common knowledge that Jesus got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. And there are many teachings on this, and they are very wonderful But I want to approach it in a little bit different way because there is a way in which we could read this text and teach this text that would be correct. But there is a deeper, I do believe, more dense version of what John is trying to accomplish through this text. And it begins with this. And here's one of the first things I want you to write down. Jesus has the highest rank imaginable. Jesus walks into this room and he outranks, outpositions, outauthorities, if you will, everyone in that room. Why? Well, on several levels. Number one, uh, the dude is God. So that kind of right out the gate, right? Wherever he walks, he outranks everybody. But he outranks, outpositions, outauthorities. But apart from that, he's not just a religious leader, he's a rabbi which means that he is a part of an elite squad of religious leaders in his day and time. And these elite religious leaders are used to a certain type of, of lifestyle and living. Religious leaders in this day and time, the elite religious leaders, they were the ones used to walking into a coffee shop and the coffee owner saying like, oh, is everything clean? Is everything good? Is everything look good? Hey, coffee's on us. They were the ones who had things paid for, taken care of. They were the ones who oftentimes set the law. They were the ones who actually enforced the law in many cases. In this theocracy that was was Israel, they were the ones who were the elite, the upper crust, if you will, of society. And so for Jesus to get on his knees and become the lowest of the low was significant. Jesus is conveying something here. And so in one way, there is a teaching that we could spend a significant amount of time on talking about the fact that as followers of Jesus, we should follow suit. We should also serve those around us. We should serve those who who are around us, the, the least of these we should be serving. And I do believe that that is one of the things that John is trying to teach, but there's something else here, the more dense version That I do believe that John is trying to teach. I don't think it's some secret. I don't think it's some hidden knowledge. I just think it's something, if we examine a little further, the overall theme of 13, 14, and 15, we're going to see something a little stronger. It's the very fact that as we're going to see, Jesus is completely and utterly flipping the religious system and the practices on its head. Jesus is completely and consistently flipping the religious practice, the whole religious system, on its head. In a way, it almost seems contradictory that this religious positional authority, God, if you will, God, would dare to get on his knees and serve. And you say, why that's such a big deal? Well, what Jesus was doing, it was just not like a, like a, a motion or an action. It was actually a role. It was a job. There was a job for someone in a home to actually wash the feet of invited guests. And this was not as much a role or a job as uh, as much as it was a slave's position. And this slave position was the lowest position in the house. And you can imagine, not necessarily a fun job. Living in the Middle East, walking around in sandals, maybe even your bare feet, in the sand, in the hot, in the heat of the day. You're also not just walking through sand and mud, but also all the wonderful things that all the animals leave there for you. Walking into a house, the lowest of the low is to wash the feet of the guests and especially those who are honored guests. And Jesus takes the the highest rank imaginable, he takes the lowest position imaginable. More on that in just a moment. But I want you to understand, and this is going to be the theme over the next couple months, Jesus was not a contradiction. Get this now, watch. Jesus was a revolutionary. Big difference. Jesus was not a contradiction. He was a revolutionary. It wasn't a contradiction that somebody with his established elite status bent down to wash feet. It wasn't a contradiction. It was a revolution. Jesus was challenging the way in the practice of how the religious elite, and everyone for that matter, went about doing what they were doing. Jesus was doing something completely different Jesus wasn't a contradiction. Jesus was a revolutionary. Maybe even said more rightly, Jesus was, watch now, a deconstructionist. Now, this is where it can get a little scary. Because when we hear the word deconstructionist, and maybe some of us are hip to this, maybe other, others of us aren't, that's okay. We're going to discuss that we're gonna see that Jesus is consistently deconstructing the religiosity, the religious practice, and even the world. He is deconstructing how it happens and what takes place. Now let's get just a basic understanding of deconstruction, okay? Because there's a lot of it happening today. Deconstruction is is the systematic pulling apart of one's belief system for examination. It's the taking apart the Rubik's Cube, if you will, to examine the pieces. And what we're seeing today in our country and in our world is a seeming explosion in what's called deconstructionism. On how closely you've been keeping tabs, taps, tag, uh, yeah, uh, watching, there we go, how closely you've been watching, um, keeping tabs, that was the word I was trying to find, keeping tabs on on on, on Christian culture. But there have been many very uh, mainline Christian leaders who have deconstructed, if you will, their faith and walked away from Jesus as of late. There have been many musical Christian music artists who have walked away from the Christian faith after they have deconstructed their faith. There have been a lot in the generation that is to come who are deconstructing their faith. It doesn't take but a couple of swipes through TikTok to, to find through Instagram, to find through Facebook, to find those who are talking and podcasting around the deconstruction of their faith. And they're walking away from, from, from Jesus deconstruction, also called deconversion. And and here's what I want you to understand. In John 13, 14, and 15, we're going to see Jesus demonstrate that he was the greatest deconstructionist in history. And maybe you would say, okay, once again, that that seems like a contradiction. It's not. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus led a revolution as it pertained to religion. Here's one of the things you need to understand. When people deconstruct, there's something usually there that needs deconstructed. Jesus was busy deconstructing. Now you say, what, what do you mean Jesus was bu-? This sounds like a really bad thing, Travis. Like pulling apart your faith to examine it, pulling apart a, a thing to look at it like this, walking away from the faith. Understand this. Uh, Jesus was deconstructing how we went about it. Understand, deconstruction is not bad. We, we should use scripture to critique our practices, our church and the culture of the world. We should use scripture to critique, and I use that word specifically, critique. Let me hear you say the word critique. Another way to say it is to examine intensely. We should use scripture as the basis, or another word, as authority to critique how we do things, how the church functions and works, and also how the world is functioning and working in society. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. I'll give you an example. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus classically says this, You've heard it said, but I tell you, that's Jesus doing a little bit of deconstruction. And what Jesus is saying here is you do it this way, but what you don't understand or what you're missing is that scripture says to do it this way. Jesus is taking scripture and he's attacking the, the corruption that the world has brought into the church. Do you hear me on that? Jesus is using scripture to attack the corruption that the world has brought into the church. So now the world has brought corruption into the church and Jesus on the basis of scripture is saying, no, 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 no. That's not right right there. You've heard it said, but I tell you. That is Jesus classically trying to deconstruct. Jesus in this passage, washing people's feet. It's just, it's more than emotion. It's, it's more than a motion. It's, it's, it's a statement. Jesus getting down. What Jesus is doing here, he's deconstructing. He is flipping the entire system on its head. He's saying, I am the highest ranking individual here, but I will wash your feet. Now, understand this. <laughs> this is crazy. We see Peter mentioned here. Peter, arguably one of the greatest disciples, right? Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah. We also see another disciple mentioned here, Judas. Judas. And I want you to know that Jesus equally washed the feet of Peter and Judas. Think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't just wash the feet of those devoted to him. Jesus washed the feet of those who would betray him. It's easy to serve people who appreciate your service. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? It's easy to serve people who appreciate it. It's easy to hand money to somebody or a plate of food to somebody or give a ride to somebody or a gas car to somebody who says, thank you so much, I appreciate that so much, and we walk away feeling so good about ourselves, we we feel good. It's difficult to serve somebody, to get down on your knees and love somebody who does not want your love, who does not want you, who does not care for you, holds hatred in their heart towards you, believes something different than you, and yet Jesus equally washed the feet of Peter and Judas. Jesus, this elite authority all onto his own, flips the religious system onto his head. Jesus actively in real time, deconstructing the religious hierarchy and practice that we oftentimes walk through today. You guys with me, yeah? I hope so, because it gets a little more tough from here. It's it a little more difficult. Because the fact of the matter is, while there is a healthy way to go about deconstructing in terms of using Scripture to critique the culture that, the, that the, the corruptness of the world has brought into the church, you guys follow me with that? Yes. What we're seeing today is not that. We're not seeing that today. We're not seeing Scripture being used to critique the corruption of the world brought into the church, the practice, culture at all. We're not seeing that today. Today, what we're seeing is our world, our practice, and our religiosity Critiquing Scripture. Let me say that again. Instead of seeing Scripture critiquing the world, we're seeing the world critique Scripture. We're seeing our religious practice, our religious views critiquing God's word in and of itself. We're seeing the authority of God's world becoming, the authority of God's word becoming secondary to our own desires. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean it like this. It means that people are coming to Scripture with prior moral uh, assumptions and critiquing Scripture to align with their assumptions. Whether it's about their identity, whether it's about their sexuality, whether it's about their prerogative or their ideological views about society or, or, or whatever it is. That means this we are seeing now, maybe for the first time at least in this generation, ourselves as the ruling authority and God's word as something that gets to trail along behind us. And if God's word loses in someone's mind authority, then we gain authority and get to inform whatever authority we assign to God's word. Are you following me? This is a problem. This is an issue. And so this is why we see people deconstructing their faith in what I would call progressive Christianity. The problem with progressive Christianity is that it is a short layover to deconversion. Progressive Christianity assumes, or, or has an assumption rather, a prior assumption, that you bring a certain amount of identity into Scripture as you read it, and Scripture accommodates that identity, accommodates that heart, accommodates those desires, or even makes way or room for them to breathe and live on their own. The fact of the matter is, we know Scripture does not do that. In fact, Scripture is, in fact, authority. It is God's Word if it is breathed out in fact second corinthians chapter 3 timothy tells us all scripture is breathed out by god and watch this now profitable and here he say the word profitable profitable for what church for teaching for proof for correction and for training in righteousness. Why? So that every man of God, every woman of God, every child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Understand what Timothy, with this letter is telling us. There is an incompleteness about us that can only be completed and filled by the understanding and reading of God's word. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the authority that comes from scripture. We do not approach scripture in an, in a, in a, with, with prior moral assumptions and, and ask God's word to accommodate it. No. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, this is truth. Jesus says, pick up your cross. Paul says, crucify your flesh. Paul never says once, John never says once, Jesus never says once, accommodate your flesh. (laughs) He says, crucify your flesh, crucify your desires. Our desires should be fueled and filled by the authority that comes from God's word. Now, I'm gonna lean in here for a minute, church. Is that okay? (laughs) Okay, here we go. lean in. We are living in a day and a time when it is more important now than ever for you to know what you believe. We're living in a day and a time where it's more important for you to know why you believe what you believe. And we're living in a day and a time where it's more important that you can back up or prove or at least discuss why you believe what you believe. We made this statement a couple years ago and got a little bit of heat for it. Uh, made the statement that we live in a post-Christian nation. And people right now are like, why is this happening? And Why is this taking place? And I can't believe, and this is crazy, and this and this and this, why is this happening? And I want, I, I want to tell you what we see now taking place, what we're feeling now all around us are the effects of living in a post-Christian nation. What we are living through right now are the effects of what happens when you are in a post-Christian nation. And so church, long are the days gone when you could show up to church, feel good, go home, and everything's good. Those days are gone. It is now more important for you, and shame on us for ever having those days, by the way. Now it is more important for you to know why you believe what you believe than ever before. Long are the days of cultural Christianity. Long gone are those days. This world is going to ask things of you. This world is going to demand things of you. This world will tell you what to do and how to live and where to go and what to think. And I want to encourage you in the same way that John is encouraging and ultimately the way that Jesus is demonstrating to allow scripture to be the authority in your life. You need And I need and we need to have a biblical worldview so concrete that we can spot an anti-biblical worldview a a mile away. We need to know why we believe what we believe. Amen? Would you agree with that? More important now than ever. More important now than ever. And so what we're seeing as a result of this post-Christian nation is we're seeing the deconstruction of people's faith. And once again, progressive Christianity is just a a brief layover to deconversion. It's sad. It's hurtful. But what do you expect? Can I just be an old man for a minute here? What did you expect to happen? When you preach a Jesus that gives you everything you want and demands nothing, what do you expect to take place with a generation that doesn't feel like he's been faithful? You say, you follow a faithful Jesus, well, I don't. What are you talking about? How has Jesus not been faithful? Well, Jesus hasn't given me everything I want. Jesus hasn't made me wealthy. Jesus hasn't made my investments go up. Jesus didn't heal my mother. Jesus didn't save my son. Jesus didn't give me this or do that. My friend, I am so sorry to tell you, but you have learned and bought into a Jesus who was culturally built and not the Jesus of scripture. And when you design a Jesus in your own image, he will let you down. We no longer can follow and never should have followed a Jesus born and built out of culture because that is what we call progressive Christianity. We highlight the highs of Jesus, but we don't talk about sin, we don't talk about hell, we don't talk about separation from God in eternity. We don't talk about what it means to crucify our flesh, to know what we believe, to share our faith. We don't know what that means. We don't know how to do that. We preach a Jesus for all, a Jesus for everyone who would just give him the time of day and you're good. Pray a prayer, go home, everything's fine. And then what we get is a generation who is bitter on Jesus and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Don't get mad at people who deconstruct their faith based on a fake Jesus. Look at yourself. Look at myself. Look at us inwardly and say, what have we added to this? And how can we shift this and shape this and change this? It is on us, the Holy Spirit working through his church, clearly. But it is on us, the time, church, the time is now, the time is here. It is time for you to know why you believe what you believe. You can no longer just be somebody on the sidelines of Christianity. You can no longer just be the person who turns on 104.9 and just feels good throughout the week. It is time for you to get into the game. It is time for you to score some points. It is time for you to drive the ball down the societal theological field and make some touchdowns and wins for the church and for the gospel. It is now time for you to do that. It is time for you to pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. Now, deconstruction, I gotta finish with this. Deconstruction, honestly, is the result. I wanna demonstrate to you why why we did this, why it's our fault. Deconstruction is the result, honestly, of three different factors, external and internal. Number one, number one, cheap grace. An external factor that results in deconstruction or deconversion is cheap grace. Churches, church culture that values converts over discipleship, low discipleship culture. Hey, we just care that you raise your hand and say a prayer. We're worried about the lip service, not the walking it out that has resulted in deconstruction. When you couple that up with aggressive secular ideologies that attempt to replace the way of Jesus, that's an external stimulus that is dangerous. And then lastly, there's a breakdown in trust from spiritual leaders. There's a scandal every day in our churches, in our culture, in America. So there's all these external factors that lead to deconstructing one's faith, but there's also some internal factors that have led to this deconstruction. Number one, if I can be honest there's a lack of surrender which stems from a lack of the fear of God we have a lack of fear for God the Father with Christianity without the cross we have followers who want to be coddled and I say that with all respect and love who are waiting for those ahead of them to go ahead of them being, hurt or frustrated that they're not. Internally, here's another strong one, we see a digital overload versus a, a spiritual intake. The average Christian will spend something like 3,000 hours perusing digital content, and only 150 of those hours are spent in anything spiritual digital intake or, or biblical intake. That's 20 to one ratio. Listen, you become what you focus on. You become what you think about. You become what you place your attention to. And so if you place thousands of hours, listen, dad, listen, mom, if you allow your student, your children, thousands of hours of unfettered entertainment, and wonder why they become what they watch. You become what you watch. You become what you take in. You wonder why your desires and your thoughts are shifting, and yet you allow unfettered access of the digital world into your soul while having very low spiritual intake. This is leading us to a very dangerous place. So number one, lack of fear. Number two, digital input overload versus spiritual intake and then lastly we have a generation of wounded hearts and this is maybe the saddest out of all these implications people who have been burned by church people who have been hurt by christians people who have been run over by church culture walked away from Jesus because of Jesus' people. Church, brothers, sisters, friends, we have to do better. And I love you, but we have to do better. Jesus, wash the feet of Peter and equally washed the feet of Judas. He loved Judas till the end. He demonstrated his love for him his entire life and never stopped loving Judas, even though Judas hated him, betrayed him, and left him. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes today, if you would. I'm gonna invite you right now just to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Think about the words of Timothy. Think about the words of John. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. What What is he stirring up inside of you right now? Maybe it's a commitment to God's word being the authority in your life. Maybe it is a surrender to God's word, being that authority that informs your life. Maybe it could be that as you are on your spiritual journey right now, you make the decision right now that you are not going to get into God's word with prior assumptions. Rather, you would allow God's word to detail, to be authority, and to inform who you are, your worldview, and your identity. Right now, take a moment before God the Father. Speak openly and plainly with Him. He loves you. He's here. You. He hears you. Talk with Him right now.